The Get This Podcast is brought to you by my WordPress web development agency brand, K2 Creative. You can visit getthispodcast.com slash K and the numeral two. That's getthispodcast.com slash K2 and click book a discussion for a free 30-minute discussion on anything related to WordPress. I'll be happy to help. Whether you need a new website or you have an existing site, you're not happy with the speed, you're not happy with the security, you need plugins updated, you're having issues, your developer ran off to Costa Rica, you don't know where to find him or her, we can help. My team builds websites that drive millions of page views a year. We can help with membership, e-commerce. If it's in WordPress, we can make it happen. Visit getthispodcast.com slash K2 and click the book a discussion link and I'll be happy to help with whatever you need in WordPress. Hey everybody, this is Kevin Kautzman with the podcast Get This. It's the show about things people love. Coming to you live, live to tape, live from tape? Wait, wait, what do you say, Chad? Is live to tape, right? Yeah, live to tape sounds great. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, October 22nd in the foul year of our Lord 2019 in a basement dungeon studio here in West LA. And I've got my good friend and, and guest here, Chad Eshman. Chad, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Uh, super. Happy to be in a dungeon. <laughs> yeah, this is this is an emergency Airbnb after my after my first Airbnb didn't come through. That's a story. Confirmed, everything's set. Took my money. Call the lady on the day. Oh, you don't have a booking with me. Whoa, I don't. <laughs> Hello. That's, uh, that's yeah. bad news. Awkward. Yeah. I mean, Airbnb usually works for me, but this time it was uh, a little little squirrely. But I'm here. And uh, Chad, this is the a show about things people love. It's an interview podcast. I talk to different people. Great excuse to chat for an hour. What's, what's something you love? What are we talking about today? Well, what I love, as you probably know, is I love making plays. Mm-hmm. And uh, since moving to LA four years ago, what that means for me has changed a lot. So I kind of wanted to talk about as a group of playwrights out here, what that looks like and what we're doing and what we're excited about making these days. That's that's very cool. And obviously, I'm a playwright. You're a playwright. That's how we initially met at the Kenyan Writers Conference. Yeah. The now... I think it is now no longer with us. Yeah. But that was the first year. It was nice. It was a fun yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. How many years did they have? Three or four? Four five? or five? Something like that? Yeah, yeah. It's a bummer that that went away. That was quite cool. It was. very nice time. Very idyllic in yeah. the countryside-esque setting and just working on plays. Yeah. That was one of those moments where the first time I had a realization that my experience at the University of Minnesota, Go Gophers, Sky Uma, Row the Boat, uh, was not like other liberal arts experiences. Okay. You know, you go to the University of Minnesota and you're right in the city. You're mm. right on, you know, in the middle of Minneapolis and St. Paul, you... The joke was, I found five. I, I, I leaned down, I found five dollars, and I looked up and I saw Prince. <laughs> Prince, you would see people would see Prince on the street. We were in a big city, and compared to say Sewanee down in Tennessee or Kenyon, Kenyon that university is yeah. in the middle of it's, nowhere. It's just a lot of green. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very. Yeah, idyllic beautiful. is a word. Idyllic and beautiful is a word, right? And so you're a playwright. 
And uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about the scene out here in L.A. and how things are changing and what it means to be a playwright in 2019 in the United States on the West Coast. I know it's a great question. and I, I, It's all theories to me at this point. Um, like I said, I've only been here a few years, but one of the things that really struck me when I first got here is I immediately was introduced to several playwrights who were all uh, working with various groups in the area, doing a lot of development, a lot of staged readings. Um, so that scene to me immediately seemed very vibrant and welcoming which I wasn't sure if it would be, you know, mm-hmm. when you're new to town. Mm-hmm. That was encouraging. But I did find that I wasn't seeing a whole lot of, like, storefront theater stuff, like in Chicago, for instance, that I was truly enamored with. And I don't know, This is, this is I'm going to nerd out with you for a second. I, I assume you're cool with that, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's the idea. <laughs> when I was thinking about this topic in our conversation today, uh, I was always struck... I wrote this paper a long, long time ago about the Impressionists and how that related to writing. Mm-hmm. from my point of view and mm. i remember reading that a lot of the impressionists felt like oh the camera has been invented now so me being able to recreate a perfect portrait of a landscape isn't quite so useful right now because a camera can do that better in a split second mm-hmm. what can a painter do that a camera can't do mm-hmm. and sure. that led to some of this experimentation and i think we're taking a similar approach to what at least what my group is doing in playwriting right now and thinking what can we do that's weird? What can we do that helps people explore something new in a way that they can't get from a screen? Mm-hmm. So that's sure. what we're most excited about right now. What group is this? Uh, the company here is called Trap Street. Mm-hmm. And uh, we grew off from our, our sibling company, Living Room Playmakers, out in Chicago. And that's been running for a good, I don't know, six years or something like that. And what we started doing out there was finding weird spaces around Chicago uh, that weren't being given enough love or exploration that people hadn't really investigated enough. And we would create shows set in that specific place at this specific time. Um, so people could come and check out the space, but also have a, a fun narrative experience along the way. Right. And it was called The Living Room? Living Room Playmakers. Okay. And are they yeah. still online? They're still active? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can you can find them on the interwebs and see what they're up to next. I know. I think they've got a new show in development. Okay. And cool. then Trap Street out here, we've, we found that with LA, we wanted to do a similar thing, but mm-hmm. it's a very different city, very different audiences. And so we're doing a similar thing, but um, we're always trying to add, and LRP does this too, but always, let me give you an example. We did one about a neon artist downtown. Um, she makes sculptures out of neon. Right. And so we studied her past and her history. And that was our source material was like her life as an artist. But then we added this twist where when people showed up that night, they were told the artwork you're seeing tonight is not just neon tubes. These are tombstones filled with people's souls. Right. Rather than being buried or cremated, they've been suspended in neon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. And then you put in your headphones and took an audio tour where uh-huh. our, our actors played characters who were showing you around the space and telling you the quote-unquote backstories okay. of the artwork. Great. Um, that's the best example I can give you of what we're trying to do as playwrights right now sure. uh, in real spaces. Immersive theatrical events that aren't uh, kind of proscenium kitchen right. room sink plays. Yeah, right. but they're also not like the shows where you're going to have to become a character and get on stage or, you know, it's it's pretty, pretty easy entry. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Uh, have you, you've seen Sleep No More? I actually never have, but I've okay. heard so much about it. All right. It, and okay. I really do need well, to get out there. Come to New York and, and see Sleep No More. I'm always looking for an excuse to go. I had a great time, though. I, I've been once. I want to go again. I may be going in the next week or two. Were it's worth any, it. Any standout moments when you did it? I had... The sixth floor experience, which you can Google, and it was quite a way to start the evening. I don't know if it's 
appropriate. To, well, you know what? I'll, I'll tell the story. So, uh, you know, so you, you show up. It's this, uh, you know, there's a bit of a kind of a somebody's singing and it's I don't want to give it all away. You want to go. But they I think I can do the I can I think I can talk about this without ruining ruining anything for anyone because it's it's rather a rare experience. And you can't I, I know there's there's a community of people online who are who go multiple times and attempt to find these various activations. Yeah, uh, I got lucky. And so mm-hmm. they put you in an elevator. They, they tell you the rules of of the evening, you know, everyone has their mask on. The elevator goes all the way up. And I don't know if it was my height or where I was standing or what it was, but the elevator stopped and they shoved me out into a hallway and the elevator door closed behind me and it was only me. And then there was this woman dressed in old, old fashioned clothing and she started delivering a monologue. I presume from, from Macbeth, she sat me down in an old wheelchair, lay the wheelchair flat, Rolled me down the hallway, or did she lay it? I can't remember the exact order, but rolled me down this dark hallway. There was music playing, like from a Hitchcock movie or something. There was a like a is it a diorama? Is that the word? It was like it was like a model, a model of a of an old palace over my head with like lights, and this was all done just for me, you know. And she's she's giving this monologue, sits me back up in the wheelchair, wheels me back down the hallway. Leaves me there. I stand up, look back, total darkness. Nobody's there. There must have been a trap door. And then there's one of the ushers in their creepy mask kind of waving his finger at me to come down the stairs. And that's how my evening started. That's amazing. <laughs> it was it was a trip. Oh, my god! It's really, it's cool. And I have no doubt if you go something like that, maybe right. not quite that personal, but it was a, it, I would recommend it. And, yeah. you know, the thing I would encourage people to do is... Uh, if you go get the, you know, spring for the extra little bit and, you know, cut the line and get a table. And it's not that much more money to kind of get the, the VIP, yeah. you know, ticket. If you're going to go, go. Yeah, it's really cool what they did. That was, I remember when that came out, when that first happened, everybody was talking about it. It yeah. was really a big deal. So yeah. you're, yeah, go ahead. Well, we had a show out here in LA shortly after I moved here that it was kind of like take that sleep no more experience, but the theme now is you're trying to join a new cult. Okay. And uh, so I, I also got singled out when I went to this show. What was the show called? It's called, uh, it was called The Tension Experience. I think now it's going to Vegas or something. Like it's, it's becoming a big yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's, do you remember the name of the company? Uh, you know, it was still a baby project from, uh, is it Darren Boosman? Daryl Boosman? The guy who directed a bunch of the Saw movies. Mm. Uh, him, oh, wow. him and a friend, I think, were the ones behind it. Cool. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's a company now. Because it, it got huge. Like, there was a six-month lead-up where they were teasing it and sending people on little quests and trying to really build a world. So people got very into it. Like, f- entire forums of people just talking about the theories. Anyway, when I went... Uh, you know, the first thing you do is meet in a parking lot where they put you in a van with bags over your head, and whoa, uh, you go to basically try to join this cult. And every, you know, most of the group stayed together, but I was singled out right away. And by the end, I was selected that night. Uh, I slowly started to uncover clues that this was like a very weird group that somehow believed you could reconnect with God by sort of sacrificing someone oh and removing all their senses okay and i was selected for that wait to be sa- to be sacrificed <laughs> to be sacrificed oh. yeah. well you you look like a human sacrifice yeah to be fair <laughs> so i you know i had a target on my head the moment i walked in i guess <laughs> it was a crazy experience though oh. just like oh really intense 
that wow how, how long did it last how long was the evening oh, it was a couple i think it was at least an hour and a half if not longer it was it was kind of hard to keep track of time to be honest because you went through this whole series of losing your senses where you're being blindfolded and your hands were being tied together Whoa. and dunked in wax and at one point i woke up in a chair so to speak um with some guy who was giving me a, an iv drip and telling me i was everything was going to be okay and there was another moment where they un- took off my blindfold and i was in a room full of sand with naked people walking around me holy just crazy shit i had to take tests i had to put other people on the tour through the ringer myself because like they were testing me to see if i would test them and this all happened in a couple of hours oh yeah, oh, this, this blows my little wheelchair experience out of the water wow well it's, it was just different um yeah that's mental yeah it was Holy so cow. i don't know we're trying to take little slivers of that but the difference with us is we want to really set it in we're not going to buy a warehouse right like either of these groups it's okay. going to be the local art shop or uh you know, we did stuff in a brewery once, stuff like that. How do you conceive the shows? It always starts with the location. Okay. Um, so we try to find spaces that have an interesting backstory or have a strong community connected to them. Or uh, sometimes I think our approach is here's a space that's like there was this velvet painting museum downtown that just closed because they couldn't afford to be there anymore. We'll find places like that that have weird velvet art. What, uh, what is a velvet painting oh my museum? God. They're crazy. Like these vintage paintings where they'd take sheets of velvet and scrape some of the velvet away. Oh. And then paint over them. Whoa. So they can be backlit and the light comes through. Huh. Really interesting. Does it um, come with a cocaine addiction? <laughs> from what I can tell from my visit there, yes. <laughs> I should have bought a painting. <laughs> what are some of the subjects of the velvet painting? Oh, there was a UFO section. There was Whoa. like an American president's section. There was a naked lady, like Polynesian appropriation uh, section. Uh-huh. Right, <laughs> you had right, everything right. going. A black yeah. light room. Here's our problematic section. <laughs> <laughs> Things that didn't age well. Oops. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, cool. But then other times we'll find places, like we did a show out in Chicago with Cards Against Humanity in their offices, just because it's a place people usually don't get to see, you know? Right. So anything that gives people a little peek behind the curtain somehow Cards Against Humanity has an <laughs> office? Oh, slash playground. Whoa, what is that like? Oh my gosh, it's, it's this, they have this entire building, you have to, they've got heavy security with like fingerprint scanners the last time I checked. Uh, but they have a theater, they have a, a podcast studio, they've got a co-working space that people can buy desks at. What on earth? Oh, yeah. What do they do all day? I don't know. I, yeah. Bring people like us in to make plays because they can, I guess. Yeah. It was fun. Jeez. Uh, yeah, what a great game. I forget how fun that game yeah. is. <laughs> they, Cards Against Humanity has a podcast. I think it was more like they were creating a makerspace for people. I, use, I got you. Because know? we found that there's actually a really big tabletop gaming community in Chicago, and that's what the show became about. Huh. We got a filmmaker, and we interviewed local game shop owners and game makers who are making board games today. That's very cool. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. when was that? That would have been, I don't know, six years ago? Okay. Five, five years okay. ago? I don't know. Yeah, this is a side of uh, your work and your personality I wasn't quite clear on. So this is really interesting to get to know about this. Do, do you all have something going on at Traps, Trap Street? Or you, do you have something coming up? What's going on? Yeah, we just finished. Well, I was sort of working on a short film the past few years, so we're just sending that out to festivals. Oh, nice! It's a weird Congrats. short film. Thank you. Uh, it's all inspired by William Burroughs and Naked ah. Lunch, so it's oh. very weird, Damn. very trippy. Yeah. And then, so the next thing we're working on, and it's funny because you know we're on this topic of what do playwrights do in LA right now, mm-hmm. and podcasting has become so big, and we've gotten really excited about it because one of the fun things about writing plays as opposed to film is you can go big. You can do crazy magical things because 
we don't have to truly produce it, right? It can be left to some imagination. And with podcasting, we can do a lot of those same things. Mm. So it gives our playwrights a chance to kind of play and flex their muscles. Mm -hmm. So we're going to create an ongoing series of short plays, mm -hmm. um, kind of framed in a in sort of a world in the way that something like you know, Twilight Zone or Black Mirror. It's not one storyline, right? but it's kind of got a feeling. Like an anthology type vibe. Yeah, that kind vibe. of approach, yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. When is that coming out? So we're, we're recording the first few episodes in two weeks. Okay. So probably the end of this year, beginning of next year, we'll start releasing it. And uh, all of the episodes will be connected to some real location in LA. Oh. Uh, kind of the way we do our shows. Okay. Where we find a space and then we do something weird there. Um and we want to kind of create an alternate version of the city that we're playing in. So it's Fun. still L.A., but it's maybe ah. dystopian L.A. Or, well, you guys will see, I guess. But, yeah. You know. Cool. Yeah. Where, people, where can people find that? You can uh, check out our website, trapstreet.co. Mm -hmm. uh, or on, uh, but you just uh, keep an eye on, on iTunes and all that. will be popping up soon. I, I actually, we, uh, we don't even have a title yet. So Ooh. this is very raw right now. Right. I, I don't know if I can be you, talking about this. It's <laughs> fine. I can talk you about You heard it here first. Trapstreet.co. Trapstreet. Where does that come from? Where does the name come from? Oh, yeah. That's, I'm, I'm so happy you asked. Thank ah. you. <laughs> uh, a trap street historically was a map maker's trick. So back when people made maps by hand, it was a real pain in the ass to make a map. It took a lot of time and energy. You yeah, know? for sure. And so what map makers would do is when they finished their map and were making prints, you know, that's how they made their money. So what they would do is they would draw in some little street or alleyway that doesn't actually exist. Mm. So that if they found that street or alleyway on some other guy selling maps, they'd know that they'd ripped them off. Ah, right. Wow. So that was their little copyright. And Interesting. so we're kind of doing something similar where we're taking uh, parts of LA that are real, but kind of showing you the ghost version or the weird, you know, back alley version of that space. So we're kind of building our own trap streets. I so like it. Yeah. I like it. I had an idea for a podcast. I don't know how serious it is, but it's an idea that flashed through my mind. It'd be this thing that would fly under the radar for a few years and every episode would be an advertisement. It'd be a series of advertisements. So we'd read actual ads from actual advertisers. Maybe it'd be like affiliate marketing or something. And we'd have performers do it over the top, and then we'd pepper in uh, fake ads. And uh, oh. and then eventually, and it, you know, it probably wouldn't be two full seasons, but eventually, <laughs> the people reading the ads would would start uh, being killed. <laughs> And then, it, and then you would discover that it's some sort of elaborate murder mystery. And you have to go back to the beginning and listen to all of the ads for clues inside the ads. So it's a show that starts with kind of native advertising yeah. instead of like slipping it in. Like it's the foreground of the show and the clues are actually in the ads. I don't know what advertiser would actually want to be involved in that. <laughs> hey, but we got to find a way to make these shows. <laughs> yeah, right. So it, it's a bit of a joke, but it could actually be quite fun. I like the idea of a... You know, like a kind of an interactive murder mystery type podcast could be quite cool. Yeah. All of this reminds me of a company that I've done a little work with, and they're called Barbecue Films in New York City, and they do immersive cinematic theatrical events. Oh. So they'll screen Wayne's World. They'll get Alice Cooper's daughter to sing Be My Frankenstein. Uh -huh. And they'll screen the movie and have a band. And when the, mm. the movie comes to Bohemian Rhapsody... They'll stop the movie, the band will play, the audience will sing along, you know, stuff like that. They got nominated for a Creative Arts Emmy for, for a show for the fine. Mr. Robot show. And they had oh. the CEO for Mr. Robot. The actor was there on stage. I played security. 
it's it's similar and it's but it's more about embracing the intersection between between live theater and and film. Yeah. So they yeah. kind of lean toward the, the the film side of things. Yeah, it's very That's cool. Really fun. I love seeing what people are doing now, you know, now that are we really aspiring to reach Broadway with our new plays in America? I, no, no. It's, it's, I'm not anyway. No, right. <laughs> I mean, I know are, some people but... are. And yeah, of course, if you have that kind of career and you, you have that clout, wonderful, good for you. It's just, there's so much more going on. Yeah. It's about live performance and creativity and yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. And I, I know a lot of us still, well, actually, I'm not really submitting my plays out currently. Mm. Um I don't. I, I. I don't know. It's. It's a few reasons. I mean, one is the time and energy I'm spending on sending the scripts out. I'd rather be making the podcast or whatever, right? Yeah, doing actually doing creative work where you control the production and you're that not, is nice. Yeah, the, the the submissions arena always kind of feels like you're looking for a handout somehow. Now hmm. it's sort of strange. And I've you know right. I've got a new play in circulation. You have to do it, and hopefully sure. you find your people through that. Somebody reads your play, they like your play. You find a production or a working collaboration. That's the goal. But yeah, it seems like an old kind of an old fashioned model somehow. You know, like things are changing. It's things better to changing. kind of run your own your own show too. I like that, and it also I don't know it gives all of our actors and writers more opportunities to perform and get their work out a little bit and. Uh, yeah, also just coming back to that idea that I, we were saying before of how we can use it to help people explore their cities and talk to other real human beings. I don't know. I feel like that's a time where we kind of need to figure out what we're doing with all the bar brick and mortar spaces as they yeah. become increasingly not stores. Do you? Does your production company take commissions from people who are looking to activate a space or do a launch or something? It seems to me because, for example, Barbecue Films, they worked with the Mr. Robot people for that show. That wasn't. I mean, it was effectively something like a commission for Comic-Con. So they're a real-life, legitimate production company with budgets and stakeholders and all the rest. So what is, does Trap Street do something like that? Would you be open to it? We're open to it, yeah, um, because it's, it's not something we've done yet. Right. But I have seen other companies do that around here. Um, there's a group, uh, were, or at least, I, I'm not sure what they're doing at the moment, but Play LA was another theater collaborative group around here and they i worked with them did a little uh support work on an immersive activating sort of show um to promote big little lies and that was funded by hbo directly yeah this seems to me something that y'all should well i mean i don't know i don't know what your arrangement is but it seems like a natural thing and it's a way i think for artists to get paid and for proper yeah, cool work to be done. I think Netflix something uh, two billion dollars investment in new content now. Uh-huh. I heard, and you just go, it's got to be a portion of that money to hire a production company to do an activation or a series of activations in LA around the release of a show. <laughs> Why not? Right? Absolutely. Yeah. So we have to look and think, you know, differently about what what is a theatrical production company in 2019. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. And there's so many, in LA specifically, things like Comic-Con and E3 that are in the general vicinity of Southern California, San Diego and all that. And they are those are events where that's starting to happen more as they're doing activations where you can meet the characters from your games or whatever. Um, and so I, I'm just trying to keep an eye on all that and see, you know, that's not our scene in particular, yeah. but mm-hmm. I'm still excited to see that stuff happening. Yeah, it's interesting. It makes me wonder, and I should talk to my friends over at, at Barbecue Films, it makes me wonder how they sort of get 
hooked up? How do those, where do those yeah. RFPs go out? How does it all sort of work? And it's probably like any, any other line of work where once you're keyed in a little bit and you start meeting people, you, you know, you, yeah. and you build a name for yourself, people also. reach out to you. That's really what you want. Hey, do you want to be a part of this Comic-Con release? What would you do here? It's really fun. You get to be creative and theatrical, maybe without all the old trappings of the, the classic sort of way right. of doing theater. Yeah. And you can reach a lot of people who might not normally go to the theater. Mm-hmm. And actually, this is another one of the reasons we've decided to go with a podcast format is, um, you know, we've always had an ongoing series of table readings that we do once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. It's a chance for us to show people what we do, uh, try out some new writers and actors we haven't worked with yet and see if we mesh. And it's just a fun day to hang out. Um, but, you know, when you've got an audience of maybe 30 or 40 people, that's your audience for the day. Yeah. Um, but with the podcast, we thought, well, we can reach a lot more people and and build a name for ourselves and sure. build an ongoing world or story. And maybe there's some spinoff podcasts. It, I don't know. It just felt like a good opportunity for our artists to get a little more exposure yeah. and uh, see how people react to their yeah. work. It's a fun format. And you're you're able to produce it yourself for, for you know, without a lot of overhead. It's pretty easy to put out a podcast. Well, Relatively. Maybe not easy, but... Compared yeah. to making a film, sure. you know, oh, once sure. a month, yeah. a month <laughs> once a week. <laughs> right, right, right. It's something you can, yeah, you can do. That's really interesting. So people can go to trapstreet.co and uh, I presume follow along and see what's going on. It's yeah. very cool. Yeah, and if, if there is uh, one of my colleagues, Amy uh, Thorstenson, just released season two of one of her podcasts. And so a lot of Trap Street people worked on that. I play one of the characters. Uh-huh. I'm sort of a, an evil robot in a way. Uh, <laughs> Android, I don't want to spoil everything. Okay, but all right. It's called uh, Cosmic Love with Madame Alexandra. And that you can find right now on you know Apple Podcasts and all those all those kinds of places. Cosmic Love with Madame Alexandra? Yeah, it's a great little show um, about a relationship and sex and love advice sort of you know savage love type person uh, has this radio show but uh, she is in outer space on an intergalactic sort of <laughs> pleasure sphere where people go to party and um, and then things go crazy uh-huh. and she has to go on some adventures and save people and uh, shoot laser beams and it's, is it it's very, really fun. Is it very ad-libby or is it scripted? No, no, it's all fully scripted, yeah. Wow. So she's getting the calls and so you're hearing that but then you're also hearing her behind the scenes dealing with whatever drama is happening and it gets dramatic. That sounds great. I will check that out. That's really funny. And I, again, that's on iTunes and all, all the yeah. rest of it. Yeah. All right. This is a huge podcast. Uh, not not get this, although get this is an amazing podcast. <laughs> what you, I told, I was told that this <laughs> had this, big this gets yeah, That's this gets reach. Yeah, yeah, makes Rogan look like uh, peanuts. Um, <laughs> That's your slogan, right? Nope, nope, not at all, not at all. <laughs> Getthispodcast.com. Uh, but uh, the uh, yeah, have you have you listened to my dad wrote a porno? I have not, but I've heard it's yeah, very good. It is it very is, good? It's bingey, binge worthy. Okay. And of course, it just keeps repeating itself. It's just it ends up being one sex scene after the next. But there's something about their dynamic and the whole the cringe worthiness of it all, and very strange, interesting, very fun. And of That's course, they cool. sell out. They they do Radio City Music Hall now. So yeah. here we are. Yeah, we've been seeing a lot of that too. We definitely will as we build the characters and the episodes and the worlds of the podcast. We're planning to do some little tiny live events here and there around town. Uh, where we explore those storylines with the actual, where the voice actors are now there in person with you. Oh, fun. Uh, playing the characters. And we're very excited about that kind of stuff, too. It seems like there are so many things you could do with that that could be mm-hmm. clever and creative. And reminds me of that video game, which I never played, but Nine Inch Nails released a video game that I think even 
intersected potentially with like an online game. This was years ago. They released some sort of, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was around year zero era Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. I think it was kind of an interactive game where they were hiding things. They were hiding USB sticks around and puzzles. There was a lot of that for the Mr. Robot thing that Barbecue Films did too, where there were Easter eggs in the release um, you know, in the run-up to it, and if you were able to crack, because Mr. Robot has all sorts of those codes embedded in the show itself. Okay, kind yeah. of hacker games. If you're paying close attention to Mr. Robot, there's a lot of weird, hidden stuff. Yeah, and if you you're at your computer when Mr. Robot is on and you're following along, you can you can do stuff. Okay. Um, so yeah, kind of backdoor uh, right. backdooring this uh, interactivity is fun. Yeah, we're excited about that, too, because we still want you to be able to just buy a ticket and show up to the live shows and have a good time. But right. if you're a listener of the show right. and you know who the characters are, right. there will be some Easter eggs for well, you. Well, you kind of want to have like the obsessive, childless cat mom experience. Absolutely. <laughs> like, you got a lot of time in your hands. Hey, we, that's the kind of family Dig we love. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they got a lot, of, uh, a lot of income, a lot of disposable income. You want the shirt? And they obviously get very invested. In yeah, very they, invested. I've got nothing not against up. single cat moms. They go all in. All in. You got to know what's up. Uh, this sounds great. I'm excited. Uh, what about in L.A., the the more traditional, hey, we're a theater company and there's a new script. And what's that like? What's that scene like? Yeah, you know, it's funny. The, the, like, those groups do exist. And I, I go see my friends' plays from time to time. There's a lot of stuff up around North Hollywood. There's some theaters in Atwater Village. And some stuff in Hollywood. There is a Fringe Festival. My friend did a piece in that, and it was really fun. Um, so that stuff happens here. You know, it, it is alive and well. Um, you know, like with any city, it's you got to kind of know the scene a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it just seems to me there has to be so much talent in this town mm-hmm. that's hungry to do something, anything. Please, let's let's work on something. That's true. While everyone's waiting for the big call and pilot season and a casting or whatever. It just seems like, yeah, if you could put it together, there's a pool of talent. It's true, and uh, I think it's one of the reasons people have been uh, excited about Trap Street is that it's another place to come do that. And a lot of the groups I've seen kind of come and go a little bit, even just in the time I've been here. Mm-hmm. Um, like our friends had an ongoing show called Grown Up Storytime, which started in Austin, and that was going on monthly for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And that one was fun because what they would do, uh, I participated as a writer, and so you send in your five-minute story or whatever that you've written out that can be performed. Mm-hmm. Grown up story time. Grown up story time. <laughs> but then they take your script and hand it to someone else to perform, and you don't know what they're going to do with oh, it. Oh no! You just show up that night and see. Oh, that's fun. It's really fun. Cool. So I wrote a short story about my fear of mannequins when I, when I used to work back in retail. <laughs> and this one night where I had to like face a room full of mannequins, it was terrible. And the performer, no joke, turned it into a musical. That he performed with his keyboard and then again with a guitar. <laughs> and I've never been more proud. Wow. Fear of Mannequins might be a show title, might be the episode <laughs> title for this. You're the, I like it. It's okay, good. If you like it, that's the show title with Chad Eshman, Fear of Mannequins. <laughs> Get this podcast.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. 
wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you like it, that's the title. That also sounds like the title <laughs> yeah, of something. I love finding titles. That's one of the reasons I do a podcast, because every episode I get to come up with one. That's or, true, yeah. Or I find, you know, somebody else comes up with it, and then I just go, oh, that's it, that's it. Fear my, of mannequins. My girlfriend and I have this terrible habit. Um, what we, You know, some people, when they get drunk, they start fights. Some people, when they get drunk, they want to kiss everybody. When we get drunk, we buy URLs that we don't need. <laughs> most millennial thing I've ever heard. <laughs> We're just like, oh, that's a funny two-word smash together. Let's buy it at a .com. So we have, like, a, we have opossumshoes.com. We have fuckyouralligator.com. We've got a bunch of good ones lined up. <laughs> Just like when we're feeling inspired at the bar. I love it. I love it. I have a lot of domains that sit, they're parked, they don't, they're not, they're never going to do anything. Oh, <laughs> you're, the, you're single-handedly responsible for a lot of people's, you know, drunk. Well, then the other, the other thing is like you're drunk and you go through a list and you're like, oh, this is just a new business, million dollar business. Somebody else has it. You visit it and it, it hasn't been updated since 2013. Yeah, I'm that asshole now. Yeah, you're that guy. There's somebody right now who's like, oh, man, fuck your alligator. It's great. You know, Kanye. <laughs> You've definitely fucked up Kanye's night at least a few times. Well, then I hope his lawyers get in touch and we yeah. can negotiate a deal. Right. I, I, we can make a deal. Yeah, I think so. Kanye, you know where to find us. <laughs> Trapstreet.co. Although Kanye may oh think Trapstreet means something else. you know. Actually, yeah, there, I did realize after the fact there is another, there's an entertainment company out in Philly, I think, called Trapstreet that does trap music. So they're right. like a record label. That's what, I, that's totally what I was Totally different meaning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, not, you know, not big on trap music myself. Not a, that's not a, okay. I mean, I just hope they don't come up with any lawsuits. We're not going to sue no. you. You don't sue us. Truce? I hope so. <laughs> Wildly different groups. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's all get along. What uh, What are some of your favorite podcasts, uh, aside from Get This, getthispodcast.com? Yeah, I mean, I am a longtime listener of Savage Love. Uh, but in terms of narrative stuff that I'm very excited about, uh, there's a lot of good stuff coming out of Gimlet Media. Uh, they've they've done some interesting narrative shows. Uh, I recently listened to Limetown mm-hmm. for the first time, uh, which is another narrative one that's quite good. Yeah, uh, I also have a terrible memory, so I'm forgetting all of the no, titles. No, no, it's great as we speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but there was a, another one with Rami Malek where I think it's called Blackout. Oh, cool. where he's a radio host and all the power goes out and this city is shut down and it turns out to be more than you thought it was how on earth did, hero how and, on earth did we arrive at an at a place where radio theater is now ascendant yeah just it has yeah. so much to do with access and the ability to reach audiences what did McLuhan say right the medium is the message it's, a, it's almost a cliche now but it's so true what an amazing time it really is it's guys I got you know I got a hundred dollar microphone a USB cable and a, and a laptop that everybody has yeah and here we are. And we can produce a radio show now. Pretty much, like, yeah. It's a very different world. Yeah, it's cool. Like when I grew up, and our, our setup is quite similar. <laughs> We're like recording in a home studio with like an old iPhone connected to a USB mic. And we've got all of it. Anyway, uh, when I, I remember when I was in maybe middle school, and I took one of those multiple choice tests where it's supposed to predict what your career is going to be. Right. And I remember one of the top hits at the time was radio DJ for me. And I was like, no way. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but now I'm like... 
oh, I'm starting a radio drama production company. Yeah. But that, this didn't exist back then. Right. Like, podcasts were not a big thing. No one was doing radio plays at that time. Yeah. That used to be like, a, you know, we thought of those as old 1950s Western radio. Now it's a whole new era. It's crazy. Stuff. And, I, you know, and I've, I've had this connection to the UK for a while. I spent a year over there in 2006, 2007. I'm going to be over in London in November. And they've always maintain that. I remember when I was coming up in the theater there, doing theater there. They've always, because the BBC will has always kind of un, a little under the radar. They commission a new radio drama, a lot of commissions, contests for radio plays. So they're in they're in a position to absolutely capitalize on that because that's part of, that's like a, still a cultural thing over there. Radio plays. Very interesting. And here we are full circle. And now yeah. Americans are like, ah, I want to basically doing radio plays. Tour of the Worlds. <laughs> yeah, just it is yeah on steroids yeah and the fact that we can produce this at such a small scale yeah, right it's pretty incredible it reached that yeah. many people yeah we're sort of limited only by our imaginations it's, it's interesting it's one of the reasons i was always drawn to theater and playwriting in the first place yeah you know? for sure and this is gonna with this sort of a medium you can take people to crazy worlds mm -hmm. you know there can be a sex advice show on a pleasure sphere in the middle of outer space <laughs> and that's totally doable on a podcast how, how long are each of those episodes like what's the with amy's show i think those are you know like 20 30 minute yeah. episodes and yeah. uh, for our new one that's coming up it'll be similar but we also want to let the playwrights get weird so there might be some episodes that are five minutes or some that are an hour there might be some that are multi-part mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. we'll do some live tapings it's gonna be a lot of fun yeah i'm very i'm very excited to see more and more people doing that kind of stuff. And I think it's just a matter of time before a lot of theaters and playwrights are yeah. using these tools because why, why, why wouldn't we? Right. I mean, if the goal is to entertain and uh, engage an audience, this is where the audience is. Everybody's on their phones. They've, they've got the podcast app or whatever else. Let's go. Yeah. And when you're commuting, yeah. working out, it's, right. it's great. It's yeah. something, you know, you can't really watch something when you're driving, but you can listen. Yeah. The, the, uh, my dad wrote a porno. It's such lightning in a bottle. You could you sort of go, wow, how did they pull this off? And For a second, I thought you were just starting a new topic. No, 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 no. Same, <laughs> nope, same topic. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Can you imagine? And I've thought of different ideas. Somebody else started this, and I don't know if it's any good or not, but I thought... God, what if we what if we do a podcast that's just about the comment section? Oh God! So the Joker comes out and we read the comments. <laughs> I mean, it could be funny, yeah. You know, but so much of that is about the the group you have together. The two true. or three people who are you know right. If you're you stand up comedian, it's like the last podcast on the left, right? Again, you pull one of those guys out of that equation, and it's it it's not the same animal, sure, right? So. The it's collaboration is fun. Yeah. 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 And that's that's going to be a weird and interesting part. I think we're going to try to write about this on our site and share our process because it's it's not going to be run like a typical writer's room in any way, shape, or form. I mean, the mm. first three episodes, we've got three different writers. Oh, fun. All working on them in tandem. Mm -hmm. So sort of inadvertently developing common themes and threads mm. and recording them simultaneously, but totally separate stories and worlds. It's a lot of fun to see how that affects the scripts and the characters and the performances and we bring in our actors pretty early while we're still developing the scripts so they have input and can talk about the characters that we are writing for them hmm. mm -hmm. very very unusual thing to do but i love it mm -hmm. it i yeah. don't know it allows us to explore and play and experiment and uh, but still put out something that people can listen to on their smartphones. I'm really a fan of finishing projects. It's very easy to conceive and then uh, not to do. And I would oh, rather yeah. I would rather release something that's maybe rough and 
mm-hmm. a little awkward than than to just sure. sit on your hands. It's so important to finish things. I don't know how many different people I talk to in the course of my day to day who say, "Oh, I've got an idea. I've got an idea for a script," and I just want to say, like, make the ten minute version of that and find a way to put it out. Do it. Finish it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you know, people joke in the theater world right now about uh, development hell. Uh huh. Well, that's you know uh, where you just get stuck doing developments and readings and rehearsals and never producing. And this for us is somewhere in between because we do get to produce it and release it, but it's also not a fully produced play or film, so it can still have more life beyond just the episode. Yeah, the playwright can still go and develop and realize, oh, I learned some things from this. Now I want to make some changes to my script. And it's really different when you're writing for audio as opposed to a stage or a screen. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. different. Yeah. Like, I, we're all adapting pre-existing plays for these first three episodes. Or, actually, one of them is from an excerpt from a novel. Oh, interesting. And they're all being adapted into written ah. plays. What is the key... So what's the key takeaway for, you know... Uh, what What is the difference? The major difference, or, like, two or three things? I think, like, the biggest difference is I realized so many of the moments in my script in particular couldn't exist in a radio play, really. Because it's entirely visual and silent and just an emblematic moment you want to see play out. So I've had to find ways to translate those moments into something that can be done audibly, but still gives you the same feeling. Mm-hmm. So hmm. for me, when I'm writing a radio play, it's also thinking about things like background sounds and room texture and underscore. Is there going to be music? Are you working with a Dolby artist is that what that is that is it is it a a Foley Foley Dolby yeah. Dolby is a surround sound Foley a Foley artist right both audio both audio yeah 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 yeah, yeah actually our uh, our quote unquote resident lighting designer so to speak uh, Matthew Johns our tech guy yeah he's going to be helping me out with Foley and sound design cool. and we are definitely going to be going on site to where we imagine these plays taking place in Los Angeles and recording the actual sounds of the space and the location. Yeah. Which I'm really excited about. Yeah. So it'll actually sound like you're at that bar or at that museum. That is cool. That's fun. And then you, now you're into sound production and sound art and, and sound design. That's a whole animal. Yeah. Yeah. There, one of my colleagues and friends from grad school is uh, um, another Chad, Chad Nichols, and he uh, he I was don't allow the any other Chads. I'm no, sorry. There's, <laughs> it's, there's, we only allow one Chad. Um, so uh, he uh, worked on this thing called the Intergalactic Nemesis, and it's this comic book that was also a lot that is also a live show. He was a writer on that, is a writer on that. And the big the big thing for the live show is that it's a live Foley artist yes. who does all of the tricks and all of the little things. And so yeah. the kids can watch the screen and it's this comic book and the, the voice artists are doing their voices and things live. And then if you're not so into the story, you can just watch the Foley artist yeah. do his stuff. And, oh, that's how he made that sound. Incredible. I love that. It's so fun. Yeah. You're reminding me of a group in Chicago called Wild Claw. Uh-huh. And they do stuff that's very spooky and kind of scary and horror-esque. Uh-huh. And they did a, ri- a live radio play with a Foley artist. I think a couple Foley artists. And so you got to watch all the actors perform, but also saw the way they were making the sounds of, like, lapping water from a lake. And they had this big, like, container of water on stage. It was, it was really fun. Yeah. Fantastic. I saw one in London. Uh-huh. Um, in one of the smaller theaters at the National, mm-hmm. where they did an adaptation of The Idiot. Right. And My other podcast. Yes, exactly. How did you know? <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> the thing I loved was that they uh, 
it was th- they had three cameras and a live like symph- little mini symphony band going yeah, on right and then the actors and so the actors were playing out all the scenes on a stage as if it were a live play and you mm. could watch that and enjoy it but they were doing these crazy things where the three cameras were also filming things from various angles and projecting that onto three screens above yeah so you were also seeing a different version of the story as a film that was being made in real time and so one of the, one of the moments for instance that i remember is that the actor was having a conversation and the scene ended and then immediately flipped around and slammed his body against the wall someone ran over with a uh, quilt and handed it to him and he pulled it up so on stage we saw a man standing against a wall holding a quilt up to his chest but then the camera turned sideways and suddenly he was in bed oh it was awesome cool meanwhile you've got live music underscoring it oh it was beautiful yeah tricking perception yeah little things like that can be so well it's not that literal it's uh or it's not that little it's uh inspired and you you create these moments that are unique to theater yeah that's really what it's about i think you want to write scripts that are compelling and that have characters and stories and plot you know and all the rest but then there is that additional layer of plasticity of the ability to manipulate space and perception and theater hopefully will always have a place uh being live put your phone away that kind of thing yeah yeah Yeah, there's there's certain things that can only happen in that way when you're with people in a room yeah i saw a play uh, in london called the 11th capital by this woman named alexandra wood this is like in 2000 and wood or woods 2006 2007 was upstairs at the royal court and it was all about uh, colonialism and uh, neoliberalism and China and Marx. You know, it was about a lot of ideas and just typical rom com. Yeah. Type oh stuff. yeah. Yeah. Real light. And uh, <laughs> but it, at one point they move to the eleventh capital and it's this this guy who's a sort of a government functionary and they uh, it was in um, promenade. So we're we're walking around in this space and at one point in the play they ran barbed wire over two sides of the the stage and put you behind barbed wire Mm. during the show and you it was profound you can't quite uh you can't there's there where else are you going to do that that's that you're not going to experience that during a a film no not a film not even a theme park like there's there's this certain weird little yeah niche that like you can only do when you're having this quote-unquote theatrical experience yeah it's cool i don't know it's, yeah that's yeah, what it's it is about. really great it's fun. it's fun yeah yeah it is fun yeah it's about play right it's called a play for a reason right yeah you want people to i don't know you want people to talk about something you make 10 years later i i think one of the things that theater can still do for me i think maybe maybe is one of the reasons we're drawn to things like video games mm-hmm. where we're experiencing a story but we get to be part of it we get mm-hmm. to influence the action. We get to be the hero. We get to go through the world and meet the characters in a video game. And we don't get to do that in a film. Mm. We don't get to do that on a TV show. But we can do that in theater. Not all theaters like that. But I think it's the kind of theater that we're excited about. I mean, least. you're certainly into it, yeah. for sure. I'm kind of still married to the old idea of writing a writing a script. I want to kind of write a... I always want to chase that masterpiece right you uh-huh. want to write something that just has the that power of the play that maybe inspired you to write plays in the first place so that's interesting there's room for yeah. that too i think there's there's room for the well-wrought play and the the pinter play and the or something that's bikettian and strange and i don't know you 
there's it, <sighs> what what for you is it about that particular format that that still keeps you excited oh that's interesting i don't know probably the autonomy like the yeah. the ability to to just sit down and create it similar to to like a podcast right you you control the means of production if nothing else i know next year if i'm inspired to say something i can create a script that mm. might compel people yeah. hopefully yeah. that's the dream i've done it before hopefully hopefully i can do it again yeah, i know I there's a lot of have, politics yeah. yeah yeah you can have a little more intention when there's not the improvisational aspect or you know and that's the thing the thing i found with immersive shows is that when the audience has full autonomy to listen or not listen walk away go over there look at something else yeah changes the way you have to tell your story mm-hmm. and uh yeah with the standard play you've got a captive audience yes i you know for me too when i when i write a new script the idea is always kind of uh, a blueprint hmm. increasingly you know i'm not hmm too married to it you know i i mean obviously you this is it's going to go from here to here to here to here but boy you get you get uh, an interesting script in the right actor's hands and they they'll show you things you had no idea right were in the play i love that the sort of strange yeah again play playful keep the ball in the air keep it ambivalent um as a playwright you yeah, you don't want to uh, you don't want to have things be too specific you want to leave a yes. lot of air in the in the play i agree yeah I it's one of the things I started learning when I started learning to write for film is that I had to somehow tell the director and the director of photography what to do without telling them what to do. Yeah. And with plays it's very similar like with my with actors and you know I'm an actor as well so I've always approached playwriting from that point of view and one of the things I started playing with really early on was punctuation. Hmm. And I think back in college, I was reading a lot of stuff from like Susan Laurie Parks and these other Carol Churchill, these sure. writers who were really yeah. playing with language yeah. and playing with format. Right. And one of the things that I got really hooked into was I would write lines of dialogue and still do to this day, years and years later, where there are no words, but there is punctuation. Right. Dot, dot, dot. There's an ellipse, which to me is different yeah. than a period. Sure. Which is different than a comma or an exclamation point. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever. And to me... I have found that actors respond pretty well to that because it gives them direction, but also gives them room to interpret and experiment. Yeah. And the director, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that. I love seeing I how too. they interpret that with their version of the character. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's about. Uh, you, you know, you, I, I still dream of writing a play that'll, of course, be done in multiple venues, multiple cities, and seeing five different plays in five different places all from one script. That's yeah. the dream, right? You want to create that thing that is this template. Uh for people to yeah chasing that dream yeah and i guess that that i guess that might be part of the reason that you're so drawn to the like the quote-unquote traditional style models yeah. because it allows you to do that in a right. way where what we're doing where it's site-specific and audience influenced that's not the same thing it's not going to go on tour sure it's not going to get performed necessarily in other cities because yeah. if we're setting it in one particular barber shop in los angeles mm-hmm. It doesn't really travel well. Yeah, right. But at the same time, I think that it is this a similar practice. It's live performance, and it's there's room to do to do all of it. You're talking sure. about Remy Malik uh, going from you know Mr. Robot, and then also doing podcasts. Yeah, it's wonderful. I love it's that great. stuff. It's so cool. We're in this era where there it's like the era of no excuses. <laughs> right. Another good title. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first title? Remind me. What were we going to call it? 
I'll listen back. So <laughs> <laughs> it might be a Dolby artist at this rate. Oh my gosh. Um, well, so Chad, you know, as we wind down here, what's um, what's the the major difference f- for you? How, well, first, how long have you been in LA? About four years. Okay, and you came right from Chicago. Yeah, I was in Chicago also about four years, oddly enough. Mm-hmm. I went out there for uh, graduate school and then stuck around a couple of years to keep working mm-hmm. and uh, and then headed out here after that. Where'd you go to graduate school? You go? At Northwestern. Oh, at Northwestern. Yeah, for the the writing for stage and screen program oh, okay. there. And oh, cool. Then, uh, undergrad was actually out on this coast up at Santa Clara. Right, because you're from California, right? Yeah, from, from the Bay Area uh-huh. in San Jose. Okay. What's the, the major difference between Chicago and L.A.? Oh my gosh, that's a laundry list, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know. Well, it's amazing how much topography and weather influences everything about a city and the way people live. When I was getting ready to leave Chicago, I had lunch with one of my friends and I asked her, what do you love most about living in Chicago? Because she'd been there a lot longer than me and she's still there now. And she said, I love the way the city brings people together. Because when you survive these winters and you're on public transit with everyone and you're all muscling through it together, you feel a sense of unity. And I did feel that there. Like, it was very warm, very interconnected, but also still very divided by neighborhood. In L.A., it's not so much divided by neighborhood, but, like, by freeway, in a way. Like, I don't see my friends who live on the west side so much. I'm always on the east side of the city or up in um, the valley, and it... It's it's funny when you don't have the same level of public transit, the way it influences how you interact with the city and the people you know, that's had a big effect. But at the same time, we don't have to deal with the snow. So really, it's also a situation where you don't have any excuses to say, well, I can't get over there. Too much traffic. And you're like, you know what? I used to climb through like ice flows to see my friends in Chicago on a Tuesday night. Are you kidding me? So we're right. pretty wimpy out here in that way. But yeah. It's also pretty amazing. Mm. And the thing I love from a playwright artist point of view, I mean, about Chicago, I love how grassroots it is and how I can go and see, like I did in graduate school, oddly enough, we did internships over the summer and I wound up doing an internship at a small theater called Next in Evanston, Illinois, Uh which I think is no longer with us. Hmm. And one of the reasons, like a dead relative, <sighs> rest uh. in peace. But I saw a show there, and I was blown away. And afterwards, years later, I saw the same actor that I saw in that play, which was called "The Woman with the Yellow Dress." I saw her on the stage at Steppenwolf in Three Sisters. Yeah. And then years later, I saw her again on HBO in The Leftovers because that was Carrie Coon. <laughs> Cool. And who's an incredible actor. Yes. And I love that all the actors in Chicago do that, that they don't have egos. They go everywhere and do everything. Yeah. It and does have a workman like. It does. Yeah. It's very egalitarian. And, yeah. But what I love here is that people are so excited about experimentation that there's not as much of a set hierarchy or structure here, which can be difficult for creating art, but also gives us room to really go wild west and experiment. And I love that people are so multimedia and willing to play with film that intersects with theater, that intersects with music, that intersects with podcasting. And that's really, really exciting for artists right now, I think. Where can people find you online, Chad Ashman? Find me at trapstreet.co. That's where I'm putting everything these days. Or you can follow me on the social medias at Chad Eshman, E-S-C-H-M-A-N. Fear of mannequins. Fear of mannequins. <laughs> that's my brand. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, wait. B- before we go. Unpack that. So you used to be you used to be afraid of mannequins. Are you still afraid of mannequins? Uh, they make me really uncomfortable. Why? Why do you think? 
because they're so close to being human, but they have no faces, and they're so audacious, and they, I mean, not to give the whole story away, but like, working in retail, when someone's like, hey, do you have this sweater in a small? And I'm like, no, but they're like, well, there's one on that mannequin. <laughs> and then you have to undress and dismember the mannequin in front of them. And in the story, I worked at a very small shop. Yeah. And so there wasn't enough room for a backstock of stuff. So they had to have a separate room for that in a separate building, which is also where the mannequins lived. So you'd go in there at two in the morning, oh, restocking no. the shop, turn on the lights like you were fucking rebooting Jurassic Park, and all the <laughs> like all the lights come on, and you see just a, like a firing squad of mannequins staring at you wearing underwear. And I just I can't handle it, man. It's too much. <laughs> and that's why I can't work retail anymore. <laughs> Among many other things, yes. <laughs> Well, Chad, thanks for coming on. Will you come on again? Uh, yeah, thanks at some for having point? me. This All right, is fun. man. It, it, it's a real pleasure. This is Kevin Kautzman coming to you from a dungeon. No mannequins. In uh, where are we? West LA, Mar Vista. Is yeah, that how you say yeah. It? We're on the west side. There you go. Uh, this is getthispodcast.com. It's a show about things people love. Thanks for listening, Chad. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. Thank you.